welcome to the Enlorm podcast series, a series that focuses exclusively on patients now referred to as having nanorare mutations. I'm Stan Crook, and I'm the founder, chairman, and CEO of Enlorm. Enlorm is a nonprofit foundation that I initiated in January of 2020. Our mission at Enlorm is to take advantage of the technology we created at Ionis Pharmaceuticals, Anisense Technology, or ASO Technology, to discover, develop, and provide experimental ASO treatments to nanorail patients, and to do that for free for life. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about the energy of life. So let's say uh, you own an acre of land in a nice residential area, and you decide to build a house, and let's say you're a real do-it-yourselfer, not, not the klutz like I am, and you decide to build it yourself. And let's also say uh, that you're worried about the supply chain and inflation. So you go to Home Depot and you buy all the material that you will need uh, and have it all delivered to the, to the site that you're going to build your house on. The wood is delivered by the wood supplier and all the different kinds of wood are in different lengths and they're stacked uh, at the site along with the stone, the electrical wire, fixtures, nails, all that stuff. And so you've got it all there at your site ready to be used to build your home. Now, let's say your neighbor... Uh, to be drives by and says, my God, what a mess. And he says it's a mess because it's not the shape of a house. That is, it's less orderly than he expects for a residential neighborhood. And he says, my God, because humans like order. However, the natural state of the universe is maximally disordered and extremely messy. All the order that you see around you and in the skies at night is due to an amazing amount of energy created by the Big Bang that is constantly being used to create structures or order out of chaos. The scientific measurement of disorder is entropy. Now let's see <clears throat> that your neighbor drives by again in a few months. And he says, oh, there's the foundation and the frame. And he's happier because he's beginning to see the orderliness he expects created out of what disorder to him. And he's happier because uh, you have invested enormous energy to create orderliness. You have invested in energy to overcome disorder or entropy. So key point number one, the natural state of the universe is maximally disordered. Energy is used to create and maintain order. The measure of disorder is called entropy. Now let's say you forgot something. So you get in your car, you push the button, and the engine starts. You look down at the gauge and say, oh my, I'm out of gas. I need to gas up at the next filling station. Or you say, oh my, the battery is low, and I need to plug my car in for a little bit before I drive. You have a choice. You've made a choice about the type of energy you use to power your car. Cells are a part of the universe, so they behave in accordance with the rules governing the universe. They need to invest energy to create and maintain the order that makes them cells of a certain type and cells that do certain functions. Like you, when you drive your car, cells have two choices about how the used material nature gives them uh, to provide the energy they need 
to be the cells that they are. Do the tasks that they do and maintain the order that makes them cells of the type that they are. The two choices that cells can use are called aerobic or anaerobic metabolism. That is, directly using oxygen to make energy or not. They are also called oxidative phosphorylation and glycolysis, respectively. Oxidative phosphorylation is also called the Krebs cycle in honor of the great scientist who unraveled uh, this amazing cycle that makes us who we are, that allows us to live and use oxygen to make all the energy we need and then to use it to build things in our cells and the rest of our body. I'll use the Krebs cycle in this chat because it's easier to say and easier to describe. If you think about it for a minute, it's not surprising that you have two sources of energy because sometimes cells have plenty of oxygen and other times they don't. And of course, it is the job of the cell to live. The cell uses high energy chemicals uh, that liberate a good bit of energy when they are broken down to create then store energy. Most of these high energy compounds are phosphate containing compounds because phosphate bonds are readily formed and broken down in biological systems at physiological characteristics or physiologic conditions. And when these bonds are broken, they liberate energy. The most prominent member of the high energy releasing chemicals is ATP, adenosine triphosphate. Yes, it is indeed our old friend, one of the nucleotides used in DNA and RNA. Another is GTP, guanosine triphosphate, another nucleotide used in DNA and RNA. You can envision that these chemicals as either adenosine, which is just a structure that has genetic information, and then three phosphates, adenosine, P-O, 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 or guanosine, P-O, P-O, P-O. Actually, it's more complicated than that. There are multiple oxygens on, that, on those phosphates. When this chemical is broken down, that is either ATP or GTP, the phosphate farthest from the adenosine or guanosine is lost, and that liberates a good bit of energy. In that reaction, water causes the loss of the first phosphate, which results in adenosine now having only two phosphates, that's called ADP, that is adenosine diphosphate as opposed to triphosphate. Removal of the next phosphate also liberates energy, but in biological systems, the water-mediated degradation of ATP is coupled to a system that uses the energy, and the second phosphate is typically not cleaved. Key point number two, nutrients are broken down by cells to create energy in a form that is biologically useful. The high energy chemicals that are most commonly used in cells are ATP and GTP, and especially ATP is really important for energy. ATP is a nucleoside, which is a building block for DNA or RNA, and this is a perfect example of how parsimonious biological systems are. A solution to one problem, in one case, that is information storage and use for other purposes. In this case, storage of energy 
and in a form that can be used to power what the cells need to do. You'll run into this over and over again, where in one system, a particular chemical is used to do one thing, in the next system, it'll do something totally different. And that's uh, one of the cool things about how evolution actually built us. What I just described is the Krebs cycle. The other approach is called glycolysis. And though uh, you have access to a more effective source of energy, which is what we just described, the Krebs cycle, you can use glucose as a source of energy. And the term glycolysis simply suggests that a sugar, in this case glucose, is broken down. Glyco, a general prefix for a sugar, lysis, a suffix saying the sugar is degraded. That's all it means. Glycolysis just means I'm taking sugar and breaking it down to get some energy. Most of the sugar you eat is sucrose. Sucrose is a disaccharide. That is, it has two sugars, uh, which means that these two sugars are linked together. And though they're very similar, they differ in how they're used to make energy. And the two sugars are glucose and fructose. And you've heard a lot about glucose and fructose and, and the like, and that fructose is in uh, soft, low-calorie soft drinks, and that leads to more fatty uh, metabolism, and all that's probably true. Despite the fact that these two sugars are very similar, their use by the cell is really quite different, and their impact on your health can be different too. Sucrose is a byproduct of plant metabolism and is present in almost all the fruits and vegetables that you eat. But when you eat these plants and vegetables, the sucrose is rapidly broken down into this glucose and fructose in the gut. Because glucose is an essential nutrient, all cells in your body have proteins in the membrane of those cells that actively take glucose up. You begin with something you eat. It's broken down into material building blocks that you can use now to either make energy or to build things. Glucose is a critical nutrient that every cell must have. Therefore, every cell will have a, a means of getting glucose into the cell that's a very active process and makes sure that that cell has the glucose that it needs. And of course, you know all this because you're familiar with diabetes and insulin and glucagon and all those hormones that do that. So glucose uptake by cells is very carefully regulated and you have a meaningful fraction of an organ, the beta cells of the pancreas, that make a key glucose regulatory hormone. And of course, that hormone is insulin. And of course, you know that having the right amount of insulin is of life and death important. And there are systems that regulate the amount of insulin in blood. Type 1 diabetes is a disease in which beta cells are destroyed because of an immune reaction gone bad. And as a consequence, uh, patients at very early age then have to have insulin provided to them in daily injections. The precursor of type 2 diabetes is called the metabolic syndrome. This usually results from overeating, particularly fatty foods and sugar. In response, insulin secretion increases, but eventually it can't keep up with the amount of glucose in blood, and therefore the glucose levels increase. Then this effort to remain healthy, remember it's called homeostasis, makes things worse. 
by causing fat to accumulate in the liver. Then you get a fatty liver. Now you have another hormone, and it's called glucagon, that has essentially the opposite effect of insulin on on glucose uptake by cells. And so this this yin and yang approach, or an accelerator and a brake system to regulating insulin is something you see over and over again in, in biological systems. It makes a lot of sense. If you're going to have an accelerator, you probably need a brake. And if you're going to have an accelerator and you need a brake, it's probably going to be that they will be different chemicals. And that's exactly the way it works. And as we go into other systems, you'll see it's exactly the same over and over again, the same basic principle. An accelerator and a brake, uh, and, and health is maintained by the balance between the accelerator and the brake. The brand new and Lorem website is now live. Feel free to pause this episode to check it out. Visit nlorem.org to view all the new and updated content. Explore our new patient, physician, and institution pages. Read heartfelt patient stories. And listen to more of the Patient Empowerment Program podcast, all in one place. Visit the new nlorem.org today. Thank you for listening to the Patient Empowerment Program podcast. Now back to the episode. So remember that I mentioned that in biological systems, there are these two pathways, glycolysis, glycol, a sugar, lysis, degradation. Degradation of glucose is a pathway, but not a cycle. This means it goes in only one direction, and that results in glucose, which has six carbons, being broken down to three carbon fragments, one of which is pyruvate, and this degrades, this degradative process generates two molecules of the high energy chemical ATP. In normal cells, with plenty of oxygen, the end product of glycolysis, that is pyruvate, then is used to enter the Krebs cycle, and it then generates three more molecules of ATP. So pyruvate is unique in that it couples glycolysis to oxidative phosphorylation or the Krebs cycle. Again, that makes sense. If your cell has to be able to respond to both plenty of oxygen and not much oxygen and needs to be efficient, it's going to have two systems, one that responds to low oxygen, one that responds to high oxygen, and then a way to connect the two so that you can still make energy even even when one it, it, when you're when you're having trouble with oxygen or you're having trouble with glucose. So these two systems are connected, but when oxygen is in short supply, you can't really use oxygen, so you can't drive the Krebs cycle very well, and you switch to glycolysis. And the glycolytic pathway produces lactic acid. And you know that lactic acid is what you get when you exercise and your muscles hurt. That's because you have a ton of lactic acid in your muscles and you have to get rid of them. The reason that you're in pain after exercise is that you're using a lot of energy and so you're, tie- so you're using all your systems to make the energy you need. You're running your Krebs cycle to beat the band and you're also destroying all the glucose that you've stored to make more energy. And the byproduct of, of that product, of that system, is lactic acid, which hurts. So glycolysis is a pathway that splits glucose 
a six carbon sugar into three carbon fragments, one of which is pyruvate. And it produces two molecules of ATP that are created from each glucose molecule that's broken down. Pyruvate is a unique chemical because it couples glycolysis to the Krebs cycle. And again, that is a very common sort of solution uh, when you have complex pathways that do different things but are complementary and need to be regulated. Uh, key point number four then, glucose is vital to cells for their life. So cells have active processes that bring glucose into the cells and that process is regulated by a hormone called insulin. And to be sure that glucose levels are carefully managed, you have a second hormone that has essentially the opposite effects. That is, it reduces uh, glucose in cells, and that's called glycogen. The Krebs cycle then, back to the Krebs cycle. When there is sufficient oxygen, the products of glycolysis are converted to pyru pyruvate in tiny organelles called mitochondria by the glycolytic pathway, and, and that pyruvate is used immediately. The cycle can also be fed by other molecules like citric acid. So when you eat an orange, you're getting citric acid. And that citric acid is really a very important molecule because the Krebs cycle really loves it. And that's why the Krebs cycle sometimes is called the citric acid cycle as well. And all this is beneficial because your cell generates more energy and results in fewer byproducts that can be harmful than the glycolytic pathway. There are multiple sites at which different chemicals can enter the Krebs cycle. And that too is, is beneficial because the amount of a specific nutrient like glucose can vary, or say pyruvate, the product that you get from glucose. So being more versatile, which is one of the strengths of the Krebs cycle, is a survival advantage for the cell. Humans are aerobic, oxygen-dependent organisms. So we are designed to use the Krebs cycle to produce most of the energy we need. Anaerobic organisms, like some bacteria, do not use oxygen at all, and they depend solely on the glycolytic pathway for energy. So key point number five, in the presence of sufficient oxygen, most of the final product of glycolysis, pyruvate, enters the Krebs cycle and generates three more ATP molecules. And the Krebs cycle, which is located in these little mitochondria, is busy. It's cycling all the time, taking a variety of different nutrient molecules and converting them to energy. And it's that energy that then you use to power the cell. And the energy is stored mostly as ATP, adenosine triphosphate. Okay, what about the anaerobic site? Um, since we breathe constantly, I'm sure you're asking, well, when and why would cells switch to glycolysis as a primary source of energy? Well, the amount of oxygen delivered to a cell is proportional to the amount of blood the cell can access. And that is proportional to the distance of the cell from the nearest capillary. So if you think about your liver, you have some cells that are very close to these tiny little blood vessels that will bring them nice bunches of oxygen and nutrients. And you have other cells that are quite a distance away. There is an oxygen gradient in that liver. 
and it's the oxygen gradient that your cells have learned how to adapt to. Once again, if you think about when a cell might need to convert to anaerobic metabolism, it's when it's at a distance from the closest capillary or for some reason you're not supplying the blood to that organ that your organ would like. A more sinister way uh, cells can be become more glycolysis dependent is something like cancer. Why? Well, a partial answer is that in cancer cells, the glycolytic pathway is more robust and the Krebs cycle reduced. This is a nice, true statement, but science always asks the next question. And in this case, why do cancer cells prefer glycolysis? That is not fully understood, or at least I don't fully understand it, but one reason is that cancer cells proliferate. They grow, and they invade, and they move around from organ to organ. And that often means that the leading edge of the cancer is made up of cells farther away from blood vessels, and therefore short on oxygen, and therefore using glycolysis. Some cells use glycolysis more than the Krebs cycle, and this is to protect cells from low oxygen levels, which can happen because of architecture, because you've got a cancer, or because you've had problems in delivering blood to some place. For example, if you have atherosclerosis and you're getting less blood to the heart, then those heart cells will be using more glycolysis. In conclusion, your cells have two systems that take nutrients, break them down, and use that process to generate energy. The glycolytic pathway is located in the cytoplasm of your cells, not the nucleus, and produces two molecules of ATP forever glucose degraded and can result in the production of metabolic products that can be harmful. The second system uses oxygen directly. It's called the Krebs cycle. It's so important that the machinery for this cycle is housed in tiny organelles called mitochondria. And their main job, almost their entire job, is to make the energy your cells need to live. And when oxygen is plentiful, most of the final product of glycolytic pathway is used by the Krebs cycle to make more energy. In low oxygen, when cells don't have access to good oxygen, glycolysis is used to a greater degree. And as a general rule, cancer cells depend more on glycolysis than the Krebs cycle. Let me add that as people eat too much and become more and more obese, they accumulate a lot of toxic byproducts that can result in fatty organs, whether it's fat in fat cells or fat in the liver or fat infiltrating blood vessels. The same situation is the same situation. And that's why um, being fit makes such a difference in, in life. Uh, well, it's one of the many reasons me, being fit makes such a difference in life. So when you are fit, you are behaving as you're designed to behave, as an aerobe. You're using oxygen primarily to make your energy, and that turns out to be what's good for you.
and Lorem is a nonprofit committed to discovering and providing personalized experimental treatments for free for life to patients with genetic diseases that affect 1 to 30 patients worldwide, referred to by Enlorem as nano-rare. Many of these patients progress and die without ever achieving a diagnosis. This is where Enlorem comes in. They do the impossible by providing hope and for those that they can help, free lifetime treatment. For more information about Enlorem or today's episode, visit enlorem.org. Any questions can be sent into podcast at nlorem.org. Search nlorem on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Facebook to connect with us. Please rate and review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This truly helps us climb the charts and allows others to find the show. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Stan Crook. Our videographer is John Magnuson of Mighty One Productions. Our producers are John Magnuson and Kira Deneen of DNA Today. Thank you for listening.